Tim Inlow and I met several years ago. I, I honestly was trying to think how in the world we initially connected, but I think it really had to do with I wanted you to come and minister. Death row. We were in prison together. That's right. Well, there's that. Now the church knows a lot more. Uh, those things you want to keep secret, there it is. Tim and I, I, I have to say, we just, Amber and I just absolutely love this family. Um, I have, I have been around a ton of ministers throughout the years. I've been in church all my life, and I've never been around one as humble, as practical, and as used of God as this man is. Um, I, I love the fact that he is a servant at heart. Uh, when he comes to serve a local church, we've hosted him in a previous pastor, when he comes to ser- serve a local church, He's not into glitz and glamour. He's not into um, all the things that, that make bad names for ministers. Uh, Tim is here to do the work of the Lord. And um, I, I'm honored that they were able to be with us this weekend. They've traveled over from South Dakota, and if you're upset about how cold it is outside, it's their fault. They brought it with them from the minister's retreat in South Dakota. So... Uh, They're going to be with us tonight, tomorrow night again at 7 o'clock, both services on Sunday morning. As usual, those services are the same, and so uh, whichever service you choose, that's your prerogative. And then Sunday night, we backed it up an hour, knowing school and work, to 6 o'clock. So I encourage you, be here for each one of these times. I want you to put together your hands and welcome my dear friends, Tim and Rochelle Inlow. Thank you for that kind introduction. That was really... Like over the top, nice. I, I'm used to going in here. Here's this knucklehead. So that's uh, it's, it's a joy to be here. We love you guys too, and uh, we're so thankful to be able to be here. This will is our first Holy Spirit weekend of the year that will be pumpkin spice flavored. So we are excited about that, and looking forward to good things from the Lord. Who knew that Jesus would show up on a Friday night here? I thought he took Fridays off. I didn't realize. You know, I thought. You know, this was just kind of crickets chirping until Sunday, but the Bible tells us that God is the rewarder of those who what? Do you remember? Who diligently seek him? Now, you think about that, what that means. That means, like, intentionally, above and beyond, maybe even making extra steps and taking moments of extra effort towards the Lord. And I think that's what that what counts tonight, um, going out of your normal routine. And I believe God has something extra for us as we press in. Um, I want to introduce to you my favorite person in the room. Rochelle, honey, would you stand up and give a wave? And uh, we have... We have traveled teaching on the Holy Spirit for 29 years now, actually 29 years tomorrow. Would you guys put the picture of our family up? So this is our crew. Um, We have three adult sons, and before we had kids, we were traveling teaching on the Holy Spirit. So what that means is every week we're in a different city. Since last Sunday, we have ministered a conference in Grand Island, Nebraska, and then in the middle of the week, we were doing a minister's conference for the South Dakota District in Mitchell, South Dakota, and now we're here. How many are here now? Okay, it's an existential question. And then uh, we leave on Monday, and we begin in uh, Mansfield, Ohio here. And uh, anyway, so any, every week, uh, typically in a year's time, we do between 275 and 300 uh, individual services. And so our kids were raised on the road, and uh, we're kind of like Jesus gypsies. And, um, but now they're all grown up, and it's just Rochelle and I. We're empty nesters for a couple years now. It's just Rochelle and I and our pathetic incontinent, elderly, one-toothed, nearly blind Yorkie. And so, which, I, I'm back and forth on, on, on that one. But anyway, these are our three adult sons. On the top left is our oldest son, Braden, and his wife, Olivia. And Braden is an assistant pastor at a great uh, AG church in Dublin or Columbus, Ohio. And his wife, Olivia, is a licensed professional Christian counselor. And then on the right is our middle son, Dolan, and his wife, Isabel. And they're both staff pastors at the same church, AG Church in Austin, Texas, Key Point Church. Uh, Isabel's the worship pastor, and Dolan is the youth pastor. And then in the middle is our youngest guy, Barrett, and he just began his 
uh, junior year at uh, Southwestern Assemblies of God University, which is like North Central U, but for people in Texas. And um, they have bigger hair and cowboy hats and stuff there. And so he's, he's just begun his junior year there. So that's our crew, and I hope you'll pray for us. Um, in fact, out on the um, ministry table there, we have some of our prayer cards. And if you want to kind of pray especially for us, even if you don't like us, pray for us. It will build your character, right? But pray for us especially here in the next few weeks. Um, uh, we'll be working our way towards the East Coast, and then once we are, do some ministry in the East Coast, we head off in mid-October to Asia. We'll be in uh, South Korea. We'll actually be in the DMZ as well uh, with some ministry there, and then we um, head to uh, Japan and then we head back uh, to the East Coast again, and we'll, we'll be back home. Our home base is Wichita, Kansas, around Thanksgiving, I think. And so I hope you'll keep us in prayer, remember us in prayer. Like Pastor mentioned, there's some resources back there to help you to grow in your understanding of the Holy Spirit. There's, there's one resource in particular that I think goes along well with tonight's. It's this little book called Want More. I actually wrote this book in Minnesota years ago. Um, but because um, yeah, you can tell because at the end of every chapter, it says, you betcha. And so, um, but, um, but this, is, this is on baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's our subject tonight. It's entirely different material, but it's really helpful if you want more information on it or if you just, like, you listen tonight and you go, you know what, I just need to really dig into the scriptures. This little book is really helpful. It's also helpful if you're um, kind of a person that you go, you know what, I'm a little more quiet and a little more private with my spiritual life, and I want to receive this gift from God by myself. This is kind of wired up that way. And then there's also a book back there called Helping Others Receive the Gift that is all about um, how to pray with other people to be baptized in the Spirit. And so anyway, there's all kinds of resources. Take advantage of them should you be interested. Um, but even if you're not interested, buy a book anyway, because man, winter is coming and you're going to need kindling. So... <laughs> Take advantage of that. All right, let's dive in. Let me just give you a quick heads up on where we're going to go. I'm going to teach for a little while, and then we're going to go into a time of prayer. Now, stop and think for a moment. Has prayer played a role in your life so far, enabling you to receive from God? Biblically, a person praying, how many, how many of you are human beings? Because how many know there's two types of people? There are humans, and then there are Green Bay Packer fans, right? Am I right on that? And so, um, but... But um, as, a, as, a, as a human being and receiving from God, prayer is the normal avenue, biblically, calling on the Lord that people walk on to receive from God. And so that's important to file away because a lot of times people think just kind of being in the atmosphere and, you know, God can do anything. But the normal way people receive from the Old Testament all through the New is that they personally call on God. And probably none of us feel like we're really great at prayer don't, doesn't it kind of feel clunky sometimes? And so tonight, when we come to the time of prayer, I just want to remind you that often prayer starts out awkward, clunky, distracted. That's normal. How many found, though, if you just push through, that God really helps you and meets you? And so we're going to do that. We're going to dive in, and we're going to pray. And nobody's going to put a microphone in your mouth and make you do anything publicly. But it's time for it to dive in. We'll have some music playing so people can, even the Norwegians, can kind of feel like they can whisper out loud, you know. And, and we're going to dive in, and we're going to pray, and we're just going to allow the Lord to move. And he's going to wash over us. Nothing spooky or weird is going to happen. That's next week when Pastor Chris takes the pulpit again. But um, we're just going to receive from the Lord and experience him. And tonight at the end of the service, I I believe that God is going to come and baptize every hungry seeker in, the, in his Holy Spirit, which is our topic. But for those of you that have already been there, how many have already received spirit baptism at some point in your life? I believe God has an update for you to download. He wants you to experience something fresh. Um, it is in, indeed true that we need to stay in the state of being filled with the Holy Spirit as the Apostle Paul encouraged. And so I just, just believe God's going to help each one of us tonight. And, and Jesus loves to heal people too. Um, I mean, I don't have any gift of healing, but the Holy Spirit does. And he's really generous and he loves to move. And so... Um, we're going to just welcome the Lord to move. So that's kind of kind of what's going on. And then we're all going over to Pastor Chris's house for all-you-can-eat surf and turf after that. Is that all right? So, which I believe is tuna fish and hot dogs, right? So, um, 
So there we go. All right, let's dive in. So our subject tonight is Spirit Baptism 101. We'll define this in just a minute, but I'm kind of a context person, so let's back up, and let's just talk about the Holy Spirit's ministry for a quick moment. Oh, I did have one more thing. I'm sorry. Tomorrow night and Sunday night is going to be a two-parter. So tomorrow night's part one, Sunday night part two on the Holy Spirit's gifts, all right? So because I kind of know we're going Sunday morning, uh, you'd come anyway, so I don't know. We're going to talk about something. I don't know. We'll figure something out. No, we're going to be talking about um, opening up more, how to open your life up more to the Holy Spirit on Sunday morning. So just kind of a heads up. All right, let's go to the next one if we can. And let's just uh, take a look at some questions that I think will kind of help us. So what is the spiritual status setting event in a believer's life? What is it called that brings you when you exchange your citizenship from darkness into God's family? What is that experience called? Okay, so salvation, born again, born of the Spirit. There's another little word Paul uses only one time in his letters, regeneration, which is the prefix again, and then the root word is the the Greek word for the book of Genesis or beginnings, a re-beginning, you know? So this is really important. Salvation alone is the most important encounter a person can have with God, and there are no degrees of salvation. It's not like... Uh, Pastor Chris is saved, but Pastor Amber is really saved. Well, that one may not be true, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's no degrees. It's not like, you know, well, you can be a silver-level Christian or a gold-level Christian. You know, there's nothing like that. We live in a world where we think of chronically elevated status. That's not the way it is in salvation. There are only two possible stati for Christianity. We are either lost, not belonging to God, or saved or born again. All that means the same thing, belonging to God. And that's really important to remember because often and even historically, people have misunderstood the subject that we're looking at tonight as obtaining more spiritual merit and clout and tenure and power and all this kind of stuff um, in a, in a uh, elevated status sense. It's not that way at all. When you are saved, you are as saved as the Apostle Paul was, right? Um, and so that's really important to remember. So kind of a base question. Now let's go to the next question. Now that you're saved, are you interested in a deeper experience with the Holy Spirit? Not to say that your present experience is shallow, but a deeper as in how many of you always want to go deeper into the things of God, you know? Um, Deeper experience with the Holy Spirit and more spiritual power in your life. And that's an important nuance too because it's not like you don't have any spiritual power or any activity of the Spirit or any anointing, but we want to grow in that. We want more, and that's what this is all about our subject tonight, baptism in the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to show you a chart here real quick that kind of frames the Holy Spirit's ministry. Hit me with that if you would. So when we think of the Holy Spirit's ministry, this is just kind of a context thing here. There are two basic sides or dimensions to the Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives. We have um, what the Bible speaks of as, as happening inward in our life, inside of us. How many have been insides, right? Okay. And so The Bible pretty consistently uses interior prepositions to discuss this, as in they happen in our inner being. And these have, if you look at the the very bottom there, these have to do with purity, but not like natural purity, like hand washing and hand sanitizer. These have to do with spiritual purity. And the reason why this is so important and significant for us is because sin, the terminal disease of the soul that everybody has, Sin is not a natural problem, it's a spiritual problem. And spiritual problems can never be resolved by natural solutions. So this is, this is really, like a lot of people think, you know, kind of, well, I go to church, or I was confirmed as a child, or I think I had communion once when I was 12, or whatever it is, and, you know, well, I don't love Satan, so I must be a Christian, you know. A lot of people kind of think that just living with a Christian worldview, or, you know, attending church Christmas and Easter, or something like that, makes you right with God. There's no natural process that can break the power of sin. Only Jesus can do that by putting our faith in him. And that's what Jesus calls being saved or born again. And the Apostle Paul really sketches that out, that that takes place with two ingredients. Number one, that we repent of our sin. How many of you have sinned? All the Packer fans need to raise two hands, all right? Okay, we've all sinned, but the problem is we can't fix that. 
We need a supernatural Savior to do that. And the first ingredient of salvation is repentance. That's on us. You and I have to say, God, I've sinned. I own that, and I can't fix that. But you can. The second element of salvation is faith. That's believing in Jesus, believing that he is who he said he is and did what he said he's, he's done. And the good news is repentance is kind of on us. You got, that's kind of the hard part. Like, Lord, because how many know what it's like to admit you've been wrong? Yeah. And don't nudge your spouse right now. It's not a good thing to do, trust me. Um, but the faith part, the Bible says God actually helps us with. He helps us to believe. In fact, and there's many scriptures on this, but one of my very favorites is in the Gospel of John. Everyone that came to him, to those people, he gave the power to become a children, a child of God. He's going to enable. He's going to help you. And even if you think, well, I believe a little bit. I'm not sure I believe enough. If you just start calling on the Lord, God, forgive me, and I need you, and he'll come and he'll save you. So on this purity side, we have two basic levels within that. Number one, salvation, getting in salvation, born again, born of the Spirit, right with God. I mean, all these terms kind of all mean the same thing. And did you know that salvation is a work of the Holy Spirit? We are saved because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice. But the Bible goes out of its way to show us the Holy Spirit is the one who enacts that in our lives. And if you're taking notes, a great key chapter on the Holy Spirit's role in salvation is Romans chapter 8. That's kind of the epicenter for the Holy Spirit's work at getting us in and pressure washing all the sin off of us. And the Bible says that at the moment of our salvation, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. How many have the Holy Spirit inside of you? Did you know he's even inside of you when you don't feel him? A lot of people think he's only there when you're, you know, doing something spiritual, listening to worship songs or whatever. But even when you don't feel him as a Christian, he is inside of you. Now, he could leave if you would divorce Jesus and walk away from the kingdom of God, and that could be a definite act, or that could be some kind of a long fade out, I suppose. And nobody really knows exactly where that line is. So what do we do? We stay as far away from that as we can. You know, it's kind of common sense. We just want to stay in relationship with God. But um, the Holy Spirit's inside of you even when you, even when you don't feel him. You know the Bible. The Bible says, uh, for example, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. You guys know the Bible. I'm so proud of you. Way to go, right? No, but he lives inside of you, and, and that's really significant. Then the second level there, sanctification, this speaks of from the moment you're saved until we either meet the Lord uh, or stop blowing bubbles, whatever comes first. Um, in that journey from, from the moment we're saved onward that he desires to continually purify us. Sanctification speaks of the Holy Spirit's internal purifying work that is designed to grow. And it kind of, some Christians fight over this. Some people say it happens in one lightning bolt moment, and other people say it's a slow drip IV. And I kind of stand in the middle and I say it's both. Let me show you why, because the Bible does indeed teach us that, that we grow. You know, you, you read your Bible, you pray, you come to church, you gather around other Christians, and you will find that you will become more like Jesus, purity, and less like yourself. How many would raise a hand, not out of arrogance, but out of affirmation, saying, you know what, since I've been saved, I have grown in my walk with God, grown in purity, not because of me, because of the goodness. Of, it's supposed to be that way. But then there are also moments in life when you and I feel the wrestling match either with temptation or with our own sin inclinations, and you get in there and you seek the Lord and you press in and pray, and God comes and power blasts some barnacles off of your hull, right? And maybe has God set anybody free from some stuff in your life since you've been saved, you know? So this purifying work is really important and a great key text. There's a lot of them. Romans 8 is actually another good one on this. But, but an, a, another great text is Galatians 5, where the Apostle Paul kind of juxtaposes the works of the flesh versus the, the outcome or fruit of the Spirit in your life. And he goes, hey, you want to keep on, you know, living in the wrong ways and you just live for your selfish self and your life will be marked by these 12 terrible, selfish character traits, which are also character traits of Packer fans. And so, but he says, but if you live to the Spirit, it looks like this. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. And even the love he starts with is not like romantic love or, you know, hey, I love you, you know, real casual. It's that agape, that selfless love of Jesus. Like, there's only one more piece of grandma's pecan pie left. You can have it, right? Like that you first. Because don't we kind of live in a me first society? Isn't our, isn't our kind of Western world way kind of basically like a bunch of toddlers with gray hair fighting for themselves, you know? Me, 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 my, my, mine. It's like being in the nursery again, but just with people with money and, you know. And it, it, it's interesting. This runs against our selfish nature. So then the other side, the outward ministry of the Spirit, this is where he outwardly comes upon us. And the Bible pretty uniformly uses exterior prepositions, and this helps us. So the difference of an inner work for inner transformation and the Holy Spirit outwardly coming upon us for outward empowering to do ministry. Because honestly, I mean, wouldn't you really like to do more than you're currently doing for the Lord to see his kingdom advance and people help and hearing the good news and on and on and on and all, you know, all the different things that God does, but we typically don't do more because we feel under-resourced and we're afraid we're going to make mistakes and we don't know what to, right? So this is what this outward ministry of the Spirit is for. And there's, I wouldn't say levels, but there's two kind of very specific Holy Spirit empowerings for this. We have, first of all, spirit baptism, which is our topic and we'll define in a second. And this is a general, not general as in watered down and eh, okay, but general as in Swiss Army knife, an acceleration of anointing and power from the Holy Spirit to help you do ministry. But then on top of that is the specific empowering of the Spirit, which we think of Holy Spirit gifts. And we'll talk about those um, tomorrow night and Sunday night. So great key text on spirit baptism, whole book of Acts, honestly, but Acts 2 is kind of a, a good spot, uh, Acts 1 and 2, and then Holy Spirit gifts, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. So those are addition. It's not like you can either be baptized in the Spirit or have Holy Spirit gifts. It's both and, right? Turn, do me a favor. Take out your, your cell phone and the glass of your phone and slide it under your neighbor's nose and just make sure it's fogging because there for a moment. I'm feeling, I'm feeling the Fridays on everybody, right? Okay, no, I know you're with me. So just kind of uh, some context on things. All right, with that in mind, I'm going to ask you a big ask. I'm going to ask you to stand with me to your feet for a moment in honor of the reading of God's Word, and then I'll let you sit back down and go back to sleep. Is that a deal? All right. I know it's Friday and everybody's here mentally, but anybody have a long day already? Yeah? So that's all right. We'll, we'll let you go back to catch some rest so you have some good energy for the altar. And right as they begin, the musicians come forward in a minute to begin to play, we'll have um, all of, we have carts out in the lobby with a Red Bull, and we'll give everyone a shot of Red Bull before the altar. How's that? All right. Well, all right. Let's go to the next one if we can. I'm going to invite you to read the scripture out loud with me. Uh, it will be the most important thing you hear. And uh, so here's, here's what we're going to read. Jesus has already died. He's already risen again from the dead. He has appeared to the believers, over 500 believers, over a period of 40 days, over and over and over again proving he's alive, even by like eating Long John Silvers with him by the Sea of Galilee. Remember that fish dinner? So appearing behind locked doors, he's, he's shown, I am alive. Even in John 20, he breathed on them after his resurrection, and he caused the Holy Spirit to live inside of them. That was their full, put the bow on it, completed New Testament salvation moment. And so it's enthuseo in the Greek. He infused the spirit, and it happened at that moment as the tense. So, but he, these people are believers like you and I. They already have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, but he makes this additional promise we'll read first. And then the second part we're going to read is um, of when Jesus first baptized or dunked or drenched his people in the Holy Spirit. A real easy way to remember, metaphor I've used for years, but it's really helpful. When you and I get saved, God puts the chocolate cream filling of the Holy Spirit inside of our donuts, right? But if you've ever noticed in a box of assorted donuts, the ones with the filling inside, unless you like squish the box or something, you don't really know what's inside. It might be chocolate, it might be jelly, it might be, you know, tuna fish. Who knows? Why am I saying tuna fish twice tonight? It's wrong. It's wrong. This feels spiritual warfare happening right now. But 
when you and I get uh, baptized in the Spirit, God takes the donut that already has the chocolate filling of the Holy Spirit inside, and he dunks the whole donut in the chocolate glaze of the Holy Spirit on the outside. Have you ever noticed in that same box of assorted donuts, the ones with chocolate glaze on the outside just naturally get all over the box and all over the other donuts? It externalizes those things. And it's the same way. You, When you're saved, the Spirit lives inside of you primarily for your own personal benefit to grow and be more like Jesus and other things because God's generous. But that's kind of the biggie. But when he baptizes you, coach you externally in the Holy Spirit, then that enables you to do the ministry of Jesus on the outside. We'll see that take place. You ready to read out loud with me? Let's do it. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know but you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's an important verse. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like Flames of fire, tongues of fire descended and rested on each one of them, and everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word and for your power. Help us tonight, Lord, as we just dive in. And I pray, Lord, that you would right now, by your Spirit, provoke each one of us to new levels of spiritual hunger. Cause us to hunger and thirst and see that the ceiling that maybe we might perceive on our lives of the possible height of spiritual encounter and growth is just really the floor. Stir us. Lord Jesus, as always, I welcome you. Would you come and heal your people during this time of teaching? I know it doesn't really have anything to do with me anyway, so come and just touch your people. Good shepherd, heal your sheep tonight. I pray that many would even right now just suddenly become very aware of your divine power resting upon them and literally moving to the area of need in their body and staying there, steeping them, soaking them in that area until the work is done. Let it be, Lord Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. You can be seated if you like. So we have a, a quick definition on the screen. What is spirit baptism? So let's look at that real quick. So spirit baptism is the prophesied empowering of the Holy Spirit. It's given to followers of Jesus. When I say prophesied empowering of the Holy Spirit, it's first prophesied not in the book of Acts, which we all kind of know is kind of the epicenter of Holy Spirit baptism and Holy Spirit empowering, but it's first prophesied by Moses in the fourth book of the Bible, Numbers eleven twenty nine. It's very significant. Moses, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. It's it prophecy. There's a, nuances and, and allusions to it all the way through the Old Testament. And then in the end of the Old Testament, in the book of Joel, is one of the most significant and specific prophecies of spirit baptism. It's actually what Peter used to explain spirit baptism after it had happened on the day of Pentecost to everybody. Then... The greatest prophet of the New Testament, John the Baptist, Jesus said he's the best, even though he was his cousin. But he's, he even put it this way. This is a pretty good endorsement. There's no greater man ever born of a woman than John the Baptist. That's, that's a pretty, pretty good one, isn't it? Um, and so John the Baptist, the greatest prophet of the New Testament, his prophecy of Jesus baptizing his followers is in the prologue or beginning of each of four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then Jesus himself, the greatest prophet of all, the prophet par excellence, the prophet like unto Moses, but on top of prophet, priest and king and savior and God himself, right? 
He prophesies it in Acts chapter 1, verses uh, 4 through 8. He explains and prophesies this as being this after salvation empowering. It's given to followers of Jesus. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is not salvation. And if you have not yet given your life to Christ, you've got the most important encounter uh, to take place tonight, and that will take place as you open up your heart to the Lord. But if you already belong to Jesus, how many already belong to Jesus? You've already given your life to Jesus? then you are fully qualified to receive this great, incredible life changer from the Lord. It's given for the specific purpose of increased inward closeness to God. And where we get that from is in the book of Acts where we see baptism in the Spirit taking place. Um, Everyone that was baptized in the Spirit took extra steps beyond the usual to receive from God. So that's kind of really important. And again, it's not to say you're not close to God right now, but it's that journey of we just always want to be drawing closer, right? And then the really the main purpose, increased outward power to supernaturally help others. I put the word help there. It's a little squishy. It really should be the word minister. But most people, when they see or hear the word minister, they think of a person doing a vocational job, like a pastor. But minister is just basically when you're sharing the kingdom of God with someone else. So that's why I put the word help there, so a little rationale. Beyond that, let me throw at you two more defining points, and then we're going to go to prayer. So number one, spirit baptism is biblical. This is not something that Eden Prairie Assembly cooked up or some Pentecostals cooked up and said, hey, let's do this. You know, every church has their nuance, you know. Well, we're not going to do communion with real wine, so let's have a, you know, you know let's do. And, and so this is not like, a lot of people think, that this is some like optional thing where every Christian group has their one big emphasis, you know. But this is actually a major theme through the Scripture, both Old and New Testament, that God empowers people who don't know what they're doing, right? I mean, for real. He empowers us with His help and His giftings so that we can do His ministry and help and minister and show His light and love to other people. And so this is just kind of the New Testament fulfillment of all of that. It's kind of what all of those moments in the Old and even the beginning of the New Testament look forward to, that God would indeed pour out his spirit on all flesh, on his people. So it's biblical. Let me show you two dimensions of this being biblical. Um, So first of all, uh, go to the next one, please, if you would. The term baptize in or with the Holy Spirit is used six times in the Gospels and Acts. There's a nuance, kind of a little different way that that is used by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, and he uses the term baptize and the Holy Spirit in the same sentence, but it's entirely different, and he's speaking of salvation. Um, and you can, we can talk about that afterwards if you have a question, but this is the term baptize in or in in the Greek with the Holy Spirit. And so, like a lot of people, um, and maybe I'm the terminology police, I don't know, I don't have the right to be, but a lot of people will call this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Everyone spit that one out of your mouth, okay? Because it's not baptism of the Holy Spirit. That insinuates the Holy Spirit is doing something. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. And it's real easy to remember. Do you get baptized of water or in water? In water. It's the same one. So, Just like you get dunked in water, uh, the you is a Christian. Uh, Who is being dunked is a Christian. You're being dunked in water, and the person dunking you is another believer, most usually a more mature believer or a leader, and that's cool. And and it shows cleansing and transformation, um, agreeance with the identity of God and the the character of Jesus. It's, It's an act of devotion. I mean, there's oodles of, of, of great meaning, but the overriding metaphor is I identify with the cleansing that's going on here, and Jesus is the one who's doing it, right? I belong to him. And when water baptism is done properly, you get wet, right? Okay? Baptism in the Holy Spirit, the you, again, is someone who is already a Christian, already saved. This is an after-salvation experience. What you're being dunked in is the Holy Spirit who has already lived inside of you. He's already been there. He's just coming upon you in a different dimension for a a different purpose to accelerate the fruitfulness of your life. And here's the really important question. Who is dunking you in the Holy Spirit? Jesus. 
No matter who's praying with you when you're baptized in the Spirit, only Jesus can baptize people in the Spirit. In fact, baptism in the Holy Spirit is actually more of an encounter with Jesus than it is an encounter with the Holy Spirit. You're praying to Jesus for Jesus to fulfill His promise to you, to pour out His Spirit upon you, to empower you to do His ministry and His mission. And so only Jesus can baptize you in the Holy Spirit. So that's kind of another reason why we try to spit out the word up. It's not baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's in the Holy Spirit. He's dunking you. It's like you dunk that donut in the chocolate. Jesus dunks you in, drenches you, baptizes you, immerses you, coats you, or another metaphor the Bible uses, clothes you in the Holy Spirit. So helpful. Okay, let's go to the next one. Spirit baptism happens five times in the book of Acts. And here's kind of the epicenters. You can check these out. And you see this progression. Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes outwardly upon you. And you will be my witnesses, Jesus said, telling people about me everywhere. Jerusalem, the city they were in. Judea, the province, the greater province that Jerusalem was in. And then uh, Judea, Samaria, the next province over. And they kind of didn't like the Samaritans. That goes way back to the Old Testament, divided kingdom and stuff. And then to the ends of the earth. That's like saying, you'll receive power. You'll be my witnesses in the Twin Cities. And then Minnesota. And what's the next province over with the people you don't like here? Wisconsin? Is that what everyone's saying? Okay. I'm not a Wisconsin hater. I'm just a Packers hater. I just want to be clear about that. Okay. Because I'm a godly Eagles fan. It's where I was raised. Oh, oh, I know it's really, I know it's too soon right now. You guys have that wound. But trust me, history proves we will drive this victory into the ground in just a few games, and it will be over for us, all right? So let me just give me a moment, all right? But, um, you know, so it's like saying, hey, even the people outside of my comfort zone or even people that I have, uh, you know, biases against, God wants to take us out of our broken worldview and into his kingdom, and he wants to do more through our lives than we ever thought possible. And so, so this is really significant. You see this taking place. That's literally, that verse, Acts 1-8, is literally an outline for the book of Acts, you know. Um, it's one of the ways to outline it. Another way is to outline it based on spirit baptism. So we see five times in the book of Acts, uh, and several allusions to it as well, of groups of people, and in one instance, an individual being baptized in the Spirit, and then we see supernatural ministry exponentially go out from their lives like throwing a stone in a pond and watching the ripples. So you see uh, the day of Pentecost, then you see the Samaritans, that's with Philip, Peter, and John, then you see Saul of Tarsus, Acts 9, you see Acts chapter 10, the Gentile Pentecost at the Italian uh, uh, cohort director's um, house of the Roman Empire, their Roman army, Cornelius, and if you know the story, his lovely wife, Zira. And then, um, oh no, that was Planet of the Apes, forget it. And then, um, every time I think of Cornelius, I think. Um, one time, years ago, I, I, and I don't know how you feel about this, but it's too late, I'm talking about it now. Um, one time I watched all the old Planet of the Apes movies back to back, and they just get worse and worse and worse as they go, right? But then I went right from that. I was watching, thinking Charlton Heston, because he's only like, what, in the first one and then makes a bad cameo and some of the others. But then I went right from that. I watched the Ten Commandments. I'm going to say that will mess with your theology. <laughs> that is not a good way to do it. Okay. So um, then you end with the great revival in Ephesus, Acts 19, which is Paul's most significant powerful, effective season of ministry, his longest pastorate, his most effective pastorate, and it all began when he prayed for a couple brand new converts to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so this is kind of a, a, a real interesting thing uh, to take a place. It's biblical, and there's more, but I just wanted to kind of give you an overview of kind of the biblical nature of spirit baptism. Secondly, and, and kind of where we'll land tonight, spirit baptism is functional. And what I mean by this is that this is something that actually works in our lives. This is something that makes a difference. In fact, just out of curiosity, those of you that have already been baptized in the Spirit, how many in a second by an upraised hand would say, aside from being saved, it was the biggest deal that's happened to you spiritually in life? I mean, it's just a transformer in life. And it's interesting because a lot of people, they kind of look at it and they go, well, you know, I don't know, because they associate it with all kinds of other things. And they go, well, I don't know. I don't see myself doing that. 
And so they just kind of don't even allow it to be on their radar. But biblically, this is kind of postured at the same level of Christian experience and obedience as water baptism. It may even surprise you to know that Jesus commanded us uh, to be baptized in the Spirit the same amount of times he commanded us to be baptized in water. Um, So it's kind of postured in that, hey, now that I'm saved, this now is the next thing on my to-do list spiritually. And some people go, well, I don't know. That's But Jesus commanded us. If you believe that he commanded us after salvation to be baptized in water, which is airtight, and he, the same amount of times he commanded us to do this. And so this is really important. In fact, let me just say this, and if you get mad at me, I'm leaving early Monday morning. So, But um, if you have like a I don't want that kind of an attitude, then let that, think about that for a moment. You are literally telling Jesus, I don't want to obey you. You know, And if you feel really guilt-ridden right now about that, just pretend that your mother-in-law told you that, and it will compound and become even more powerful, all right, okay? So functional. Let's look at this. This means that this actually does something in our lives. It does something in our lives. So let's go to the next one and look at some Scripture verses here as, as we land the ship. So the Bible does indeed associate the supernatural, curious, uh, weird on some level, supernatural sign of speaking in a language you've never learned before as the sign that confirms that you've been fully baptized in the Holy Spirit. Um, this messes people up, messes me up too, honestly. I wish God would have picked something else, like there you are praying and all of a sudden your pockets just fill with $100 bills. Man, the whole world would want to be spirit-filled, you know? Or all of a sudden, all your wrinkles disappear, your double chin sucks up, your crow's feet go away, your bald head fills in, your, you know, your gut dissolves. Man, all of California would be saved, you know? And so, there's, but, but for whatever reason, God picked a sign, and I don't understand all the wisdom, I can only speculate. God picked a sign, associated with the final outcome of what this is about, to be verbal witnesses, And he picked something that demands us, as he seems to always do, to humble ourselves to accept. Uh, In the words of Dr. Isaac Canales, a great, great uh, spirit-filled pastor and uh, seminary professor at Fuller, he said, speaking in tongues is God's practical joke on the proud human intellect. I think it's pretty, pretty square on. So let's look at these verses. The top verse is the one verse in the Bible where more information on exactly what's going on the moment someone is baptized in the Spirit. There's more information in this one sentence than really any other place in the Bible showing us exactly what's going on. Oftentimes, before people experience spirit baptism, they kind of, it's natural to assume that, well, you just come up here and stand, and then the deacons dance around you on one foot and spray you down with WD-40 and, you know, and chant something, and then all of a sudden, poof, a lightning bolt comes, and your hair either straightens or curls, whatever the need might be, and then you're baptized in the Spirit. And especially if you come from a more sacramental background, it's very common for people to think that, this is, you know, something that happens, a leader does this to you, and you just kind of passively stand there. Some people think that maybe you come from a Pentecostal or charismatic tradition, and you think that, well, you, you know, you come to this place of prayer, and then all of a sudden, when they're singing songs, all of a sudden the lights dim, the smoke machines come on, and then Jesus sneaks behind you with a chloroform rag of Holy Spirit, you know, chloroform and, and hits you, and then the next thing you know, you wake up in the drainage ditch in front of the church two weeks later speaking in tongues with a bean can on your head, you know? A lot of people feel like this, they just kind of assume, because it's associated supernatural, they assume they will be out of control and there's not a lot required of you. You just go to sleep and you wake up, you know, kind of a thing, or you're translated or beamed to the mothership for a little while, and you know? But it's not that way. This verse shows the interaction involved. In fact, probably many of you that are baptized in the Spirit, you were probably surprised, perhaps, afterwards that you were involved so much in it. Uh, It was actually you choosing to cooperate with the work of God. And God's not a bully. And this is really, it's a sacred thing that God would love us and relate to us enough 
that he would entrust us to partner with him on every level in this. And it's actually kind of beautiful, but if you're expecting God just to come and hit you with Holy, Holy Spirit defibrillator pads and, you know, it's done, I mean, I guess God can do it any way he wants, but usually, and even biblically usually, it's not typically how that happens. There's interaction, and there's some place required on you. You're still going to be able to think and process. You know, you're not going to you know, forget your name and all that stuff when it's going on. In fact, we were talking before church, a lot of people think that when the Holy Spirit is upon you, you're in some high or out of its state. And I have to say, caveat, there is the biblical experience called a trance. That's kind of where God hits you over the head with his rubber mallet and you see visions and are more aware of heaven than you are of earth. And hey, God can do anything, right? But that experience of the trance is never shown to be a universal, everybody in Christianity experiences it. But spirit baptism is. And, um, and so a lot of people think when the Holy Spirit's on you, you know, you're high or you're whatever. But honestly, biblically, and, and I testify with my own experience, when the Holy Spirit's power is upon me, I'm typically not dulled or high. I am more aware, more aware of Jesus and his mission and the Holy Spirit's presence, and more aware of the needs of people around me. So we're not looking like to kind of lose yourself. You're looking really to discover more of, of the empowering of Jesus for you and I to fulfill his ministry. So just some kind of things around the edges. So here we go. They were all, and all were filled with the Holy Spirit. This word filled, we typically associate with chocolate inside of the donut, but Luke doesn't use it that way. It's, not, it's a kind of generic, it speaks of any kind of encounter that he uses in his writings. It's, it's not a technical term. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Who was filled with the Spirit? The believers that had obeyed the command of Jesus we read about in the very beginning. Remember, he told them, you can also see in Luke 24, he told them to stay in the city of Jerusalem until he clothed them, coated them, enrobed them externally in the Holy Spirit's power. This was the group, and that was a week earlier. So they had been there for right around a week's time, pressing in, continuing daily in the temple, worshiping, praising, seeking the Lord. And so that's the people. They were the ones, the ones that pressed in. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak. Who began to speak? The people did. How many of you are people, right? Speaking of Charlton Heston theme, so is Soylent Green, if you know the reference, right? But um, so... But they were filled. They began to speak. When you begin to speak in tongues, you will choose to cooperate with the moving of God in your life. Um, you will likely have intellectual concern. Oh, I'm going to get this wrong, and what am I going to do? But you, you know the scriptures, and you sense the leading of the Spirit, and he gives you the ability. And, and sometimes people right away follow that prompting. Other times they're, they just need some time and a couple seasons of the Holy Spirit coming upon them and, and validating that over and over again. That's all cool. There's no like race. Whoever speaks in tongues first wins a new car tonight. It's not like that. At least I don't think it is. But um, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's process. And that's really cool. God seems to not be in a hurry. Have you noticed that? Like, if I were God, aside from blowing up the universe, right after original sin in the garden, I would have sent Jesus right in the garden, chopped down the tree of knowledge of good and evil, put the cross right there, and been done with it. But I'm not God. He knows everything, and I know hardly anything. He knows everything about everything for all time and eternity beyond and future and past and present. And, and so... I just have to kind of leave some of these mysteries to him. But a lot of people think that um, that moment of speaking, that God seizes control and begins to puppet you and make you speak, and you're out of control in some voodoo. All of a sudden, there you are, and, and you just kind of slip away from consciousness, and all of a sudden, you begin to hear like Pink Floyd music, and you begin to see heffalumps and woozles and this kind of thing. It's just not that way. Um, you will be aware of the supernatural ministry of the Spirit, but you're also going to still be you. And when you begin to speak in tongues, it will be your voice. It will be as loud as you choose to speak because God's not making you. He's prompting you to do so. And that's a big, 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 big difference. They began to speak with other tongues and you don't need to understand biblical Greek to understand the content of Scripture and all these things, but there's a couple of things sometimes that seeing a little nuance kind of helps us to answer some questions, and this is one of them. That other word there is uh, uh, heteros, another of a different kind. 
that's really a big deal because a lot of people go, oh, well, you know, I know a little Spanish. So when the Holy Spirit moves upon me, I'll just say those Spanish words. That will be my tongues. But that would be you giving you the utterance and prompting. But this is heteros glossius, another of a different kind language. So that's a, that's a big deal too. It's, it's a language that you don't have any reference point on. Paul would later on call it the unknown tongue, unknown to you, the speaker. So, okay, they began to speak with another of a different kind of language, a language they had never learned, an unknown language to them, as the Holy Spirit was giving them what? Utterance. That's a weird word, isn't it? Utterance. You probably don't use it in everyday language, unless you're a dairy farmer who can't spell. Um, and, and this is one of those deals, like when you're reading the book of Acts, um, this is a word play that Luke sets up. So, and I don't make a big deal about it, but if you were reading this in, in the original Koine Greek that this was written in, you would catch this word play that Luke does. This word utterance is used in the top verse, Acts 2.4, and then 10 verses later, verse 14, he uses it again, and it's a pretty peculiar word. It's apothengami. You don't need to know that. The, the most important Greek word anyone needs to know is baklava. How many know that word? Right? Okay. Really important one. Um, but this word is it's interesting because he's setting this up. He's trying to like trigger something in the reader. Like you've read stuff with wordplay before where they'll kind of pepper it in here and then later on they'll use it and a greater meaning will settle in. That's what he's doing here. And he does it in this 10 verse spread. He's the only New Testament author that uses this word. And he only uses it in his writing of the book of Acts. He uses it three times here, twice in chapter two. And then later on he reinforces it in Acts 25, 26. Um, but um, so that word utterance, it's the idea of you're talking, but God is cueing what to say. He's sending you the prompting. In fact, in secular literature, not biblical literature from the first century, we have three accounts of this word being used to describe the actor, uh, or the, the prompter, rather, in a play when the actors forget their lines. The idea is that somebody else is telling you what to say, sending you the you know, the data, they're prompting you. That's kind of the idea. And so they began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit was making them. Nope. Had control of them. Nope. He was prompting them, urging them, sending them the urging, the, the data perhaps, or the urging to speak. And then 10 verses later, that, that top one happened in a private prayer meeting, but then by 10 verses later, a crowd has amassed around them, right? People number one, people group number one goes, wow, this is something. We hear a lot of different nationalities, being languages being spoken of perhaps the 120. There's 13 different languages that are recognized there in the table of nations. Um, so whether or not there was more languages or everybody was speaking one of the 13 or whatever, I, who knows, but God. Um, but indeed, Paul would later on talk, kind of talk about the tongues of men and angels, and it kind of makes you wonder. Um, there's nowhere in the Bible that says tongue speaking is a known, recognizable human language. He never says that. So we just kind of, again, there's mystery. You have to kind of embrace with all of this. But um, I think it is really interesting. The second group then gathers around and goes, no, there's no way. The answer, the reason why we hear them declaring the wonders of God in all these different languages from a bunch of country bumpkin Galileans, which is really what's going on here, um, is because they're drunk. That's the chaos answer. The reason why there's all this order is because of chaos. Kind of funny, you know. But Peter, in response to that second response, stands up, takes a stand with the 11 other disciples, and he begins to speak to them, to the crowd. Now, do you remember, did Peter speak to them in tongues? Did he preach in tongues to them? No, he preached to them in, like, Aramaic, their known language. But the difference, I mean, you've, you've read, you know the story. A few days earlier, a few weeks earlier, or week, yeah, yeah, almost two weeks earlier, Peter couldn't even acknowledge his faith to a servant girl around a campfire, denying the Lord. But now, after being dunked in the Holy Spirit's power and spiritual bravery increase. Now he's standing on the day of Pentecost preaching to thousands, and he's not like, well, Jesus is your best friend among all the other gods. He's not giving you some watered-down thing. He goes, this Jesus you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. You need to repent. You know, I mean, it's strong. It's really obvious to the person that knows Peter's history that God has given this guy a spine, 
He's given him, anointed him with new levels of spiritual bravery and verbal fluency to speak about the kingdom of God. And then you go back, oh, wait a minute, Jesus said you would receive power to be his witnesses. And so Luke uses that word, it gets translated here in the NLT as declared. It's the same word utterance. So just like Peter was prompted to speak in tongues by the Holy Spirit, now all of a sudden the same Holy Spirit is prompting his known language as he speaks to other people. This is the function of all of this. Because people go, why would I want to speak in tongues? That sounds so dumb. God is giving you a sign that from this moment earlier, in your private moment of prayer, when you begin to pray in tongues, God is giving you in that moment a sign that he's going to guide your language to speak to others, which is where we get this next one. It'll be our final one. If you can trust God to guide you to speak in the unknown language, how much more afterwards can you trust him to guide your known language to speak to other people? This is a major connection that if you're reading this in the original Greek, you go, oh, I see what you did there, God. You're trying to show me function here. And this is really important because kind of traditionally in our spirit-filled churches, Pentecostal charismatic churches, we have rooms full of people who can speak in tongues and never even think once about speaking to their neighbor with the Spirit's power. And for those of you that have already been baptized in the Spirit, your homework during this prayer time is that you would pray and seek the Lord for Him to strengthen you with spiritual bravery and that you would pay attention to the promptings and where those urgings and movings of the Holy Spirit are taking place in your life. And then tomorrow when you're at Walmart or whatever the you know, thing might be, or the, that opportunity, you're calling someone or texting to someone, you listen, lean in and say, okay, Holy Spirit, out of that same spot, do you have anything you want me to say? And lean in and let him give you the utterance paying attention to those things. And, you know, typically it starts out just a little bit, like a lot of people when they begin to first pray in tongues, it's one sound or one syllable or whatever. But the more you begin to relax and lean in and listen, it kind of grows. How many of you in your own experience of praying in the Spirit that it's grown from a little to a language, you know? And it's a very common thing in the same way in hearing his promptings and following those in the days ahead. You don't get baptized in the Holy Spirit merely so you can speak in tongues. You get baptized in the Holy Spirit, so God gives you a confidence building, a moment like you've never had at any other time in your life where God is moving upon you, you sense his presence, and he begins to guide you to step outside of your comfort zone and speak for him, and he does it in the outlandish way. It's a language you don't even know, but he does that, so from that moment on, you can say, these lips can do something they've never been able to do before. I can speak for God wherever he wants me to go, whatever he wants me to say. And then on top of that, you have that encounter where he has given you that spine. He's given you increased bravery. Well, I think I taught plenty long time. It's like 1130. Why don't you stand up with me tonight? And can the worship team sneak back up? You guys are awesome. Except maybe not the bagpipe guy. You were a little off tonight. All right. So, okay, do me a favor. Reach for the sky. Reach as high as you can. This is not a praise. Just stretch your carcass out. You've been sitting there. Higher, higher. Rock up on your toes. Reach up as high as you can. All right. Stretch it out. Now reach down as low as you can to the ground without hitting your head on the chair in front of you. Put your palms flat on the ground and then loosen one of your legs and stick it straight up in the air and then the other one too. All right. No takers. Me either. All right. We're going to dive into prayer here just, and you don't, you know, you can pray as long as you like, but I do encounter, encourage you rather to pray just a little longer than you think you should, yeah. right? And it's not an oppressive burden. Most people don't feel like they're very good at prayer, but just dive in and be honest. Talk to God. He already knows what you're thinking anyway, but he's waiting for you to vulnerably trust him and choose to talk to him about it. Just dive in and begin to pray, and if you don't know what to say, just beyond. Lord, I don't know what to say. That's an okay prayer. But I want to ask you to, to do something additionally when we pray. And here it is. I'm going to ask you to pray out loud. I know that's a tall order for people that are really shy and quiet. I'm not asking you to yell or scream, but at least whisper. Use your, use your mouth. You'll find when you do that, when you add the physical element to prayer, merely more than just merely thinking in prayer, but actually speaking, you'll find that it's a lot easier to keep your train of thought and you'll find it's an extra level of vulnerability before the Lord, right? And 
God is just looking for you to trust Him more and more. And people will in just a moment be, be receiving baptism in the Spirit for the first time. And those that have already experienced, I believe God has a fresh anointing of power on your life. But your homework when that's happening is to pay attention to what He's doing. Maybe even ask Him questions. And Lord, how can I know your voice more? Would you, for a season of time, would you really make it bright, loud, and clear so, so I... You know, I don't go another 10 years without winning someone to Jesus, you know? Like, show, talk to him. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is our teacher. What good is it to have him as your teacher if you don't ever go to class? Ask your teacher some questions tonight when he's moving upon you and pay attention and lean in or maybe even specifically say, you know, Holy Spirit, I really want to win this family member to the Lord. And would, would you have, you know, I want to be aware. Do you have something you want me to do or say? He may speak to you in this moment or else it may just kind of be, getting in line for when that moment comes. You already have some prayer equity now for when that moment comes, all right? Would you bow your heads with me across this room? This is kind of shut out distractions. We always want to give opportunities for people to find and experience Jesus as their Savior. Maybe tonight you came in, someone dragged you in here, or maybe uh, you've never even been in a church before. I don't know, but you say, you know what? That salvation thing you talked about, getting into the family of God, that has never happened for me. And tonight... Uh, We're not going to single you out or embarrass you. But if you say, you know what? I know I'm not living in that right relationship with God. I've not put my trust in the Lord as Savior. I've not repented of my sin. But I want to experience that. I want to know for sure that I belong to God. If you just give me a quick wave and you can keep the lights up, that's cool. Uh, Just give me a quick wave. Hey, that's me. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. And I don't know if you're waving for the very first time or you're just kind of going through a moment of insecurity in your life that can happen too and that's cool it's always better to be responsive right but in a second i'm going to lead a prayer of salvation and those that say hey i want to put my faith in christ uh, you can pray this along with me if you like honestly you could pray your own words to jesus and be honest about it and he would accept you but sometimes people feel like they just need a handle to hold on to and and you can use my words but if you already know Jesus I want you to ignore me for the next 30 seconds and your job is to pray a fresh prayer of surrender and repentance before the Lord just do a little spring cleaning and do it out loud so you punch your own pride in its face okay so I just release those that already know Jesus just to begin right now to out loud just begin to whisper fresh prayer lord cleanse me fresh of my sins if you want to receive christ you could pray this kind of a prayer with me if you're watching online you can do the same thing you could pray something like this heavenly father i believe that jesus is your one and only son and that no one else can save me and forgive my sin but jesus and lord i have sinned I've sinned against you. I've sinned against others. I've even sinned against myself. And I cannot fix that. But you can. Savior, would you save me? Would you wash me clean and adopt me into your family? Let your Holy Spirit come and live inside of me from this day forward I no longer belong to myself I no longer belong to the enemy but I belong to you Lord Jesus thank you for that thank you Lord thank you for a fresh cleansing from sin now now with your mouth would you just begin to thank the Lord that he would forgive somebody like you and me thank you Jesus I'm so grateful Lord thank you for your patience and your kindness and your mercy to me I would have given up on me years ago. But Lord, you've been so good. Thank you that that you truly do forgive sins. Thank you for that, Lord. Jesus, you are the Son of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All right, we're going to begin the, the time of receiving Holy Spirit power in our lives, whether it's the first time or, or it's, you know, 800th time. 
will probably take, I don't know, 15 minutes or so, or as long as you want, or as short as you want. It's up to you. There'll be no formal dismissal. or do you, Yeah, so it's kind of let you go. But listen, all I'm going to ask is, is when we're going to have people kind of come up around the front and begin to pray. And if you're alone or you can go sneak on up in the back corner or aisle pacer, it's just us, all right? We can seek the Lord. But I do want to ask if I'm just going to reserve just the very front edge of the stage from here to here, over here, just this very center bump out. If you say, hey, I want to be baptized in the Spirit for the first time, I'm going to ask you when you come forward that you stand and you touch your toes against the center, this front edge of the stage. I'm not doing that to single you out or embarrass you. There'll be lots of people around. Nobody will pay attention to you. But I'll pay attention to you, and so will the pastors and some of the other caring prayer partners. It's a real easy way to say, hey, I want to receive that first. Would you come and pray with me without us having to interrupt you when you're seeking the Lord, all right? And so if you'll just come and touch your toes in just a second here against the front edge, stand here, and just start praying. You won't know where it is. Oh, Lord, just fill me with your spirit. I need you, whatever. Myself and some of the other leaders in the church will come and pray with you. Nobody's going to grab you by the head and shake you or anything like that. We're just going to stand with you and agree with you and encourage you because Jesus can't wait to baptize you with the Holy Spirit tonight, all right? So would you come? Come on, get out of your seat. Let's find a place of prayer. This is why you came tonight anyway, right? To encounter God? Let's do it. Cannonball in the deep end. Oh, I need you, Jesus. I'm so hungry for you. Yeah. When you get here, just begin to lift your voice up to God. Oh, I need you, Jesus. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. Yeah. Just slow down. Draw near. No hurry. No stress. Yeah. I need you, Jesus. Oh, I love you so much, Lord. I love you so much, Lord. Get out of your seats. You're hungry for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Find a place to pray. Sometimes it really helps people to change positions. Even if you don't come forward, pace an aisle or something, just intentionally get out of patterns right now. Take a fresh step. I'd love to have a couple, uh, some leaders come and help me pray with these that are praying for baptism in the Spirit. Um, If you're coming here tonight for this, listen, real easy. Step number one, just get as close to Jesus as you can through prayer. Slow down. Enjoy this. There's not going to be a moment when you're going to get zapped or whatever. You'll probably feel there'll just be an increasing of your awareness of the Holy Spirit. And God is super gentle. He's not a bully. He's going to wash over you. He's, you're going to have to give him permission every step of the way. Draw near to Jesus. That's on you. But then the second step is something Jesus will do. There will be some time. And honestly, it typically happens pretty quick. You're going to sense the Holy Spirit start falling upon you because Jesus can't wait to pour his Holy Spirit out upon you. You're going to know right away it's him because it's the same Holy Spirit who's lived inside of you since you were saved. And at that very moment when he moves upon you, that's the moment that I would ask that you stop praying, stop talking to God in English or whatever language you know, and start listening in your inner being. That's where those, that utterance, that prompting will start when the Holy Spirit's presence is upon you. And at that moment, your brain will go, that's, I can't do this, and that sounds funny to me. But don't listen to your brain. Listen to the stirring of God in your heart. Remember the scriptures that we talked about tonight to give you the, the safety net. And at that moment, just take a deep breath and begin to speak out of those promptings God has for you. You won't make a mistake. It will be so easy. It will happen like knee high. It won't be super high and intellectual and lofty. It'll happen super easy. All right. Come on. Let's just begin to draw near. Lift your voice with me. Oh, Jesus, just wash over my friends tonight. Wash over us all. Thank you for your generosity. We we just want to be empowered to do your work, your mission. I want to do so much more for you. Would you grant me more supernatural help and giftedness and power? draw near you, Lord. I'm so hungry, Jesus. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, I love you, Lord, with all of my heart. You're so good. Just calibrate all of us to be aware and sensitive to your Holy Spirit right now. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Even strong.